everybody. Thanks so much for joining us today for When I Grow Up. On today's episode, I have a special guest, David Shin, with us. I'm really happy he's here with us today because, like many of you know, David has his own podcast where I had the opportunity to be on with him. But did you know David Shin is not just a podcaster? He actually makes a living doing other things. <laughs> um, he, he's an author. Right, you. Yeah. <laughs> he's wrote two books um, that you can find on Amazon. Um, but beyond that, um, I we get to find out today uh, what he does day to day. So, hey, David, thanks so much for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me on. I'm very honored to finally be on the When I Grow Up podcast. No, it is my <laughs> honor to for you to be here with me today. Mm. Um, so, how have you been? Um, I've been great. Uh, I got to celebrate my daughter's first birthday yesterday, uh, which oh, was. Can you even believe it's been a year? Oh, it's it flew. Time flies so much when you have a little child. Yeah, I know. It, it was a little sad because I didn't get to invite you know people like you, like our friends and family. Sure. It, we did it with just you know immediate family. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but it, it was still a lot of fun. Um, it took a lot of great pictures. So yeah. Oh man, I yeah, I wish I could have been there too. But I'm ex- I'm glad that you guys got to do something small at least. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, surely your wife. Um, I saw some pictures too, and it looked really amazing. She's awesome. Yeah, isn't she? Yeah. If, if I can <laughs> brag on my wife a little bit, she is. Uh, she studied mechanical engineering, so she's really handy, and uh-huh, uh-huh. she wanted a backdrop for pictures. And she didn't have anything, so she went to Home Depot, got a bunch of PVC pipe, and she made a backdrop herself with, like, bed sheets and just putting together. Yeah, it was great. It was a lot of fun. Oh, my (laughs) gosh. Shirley is crazy in in the best way possible. (laughs) Um, For those of you that don't know um, David's family and my family that well, actually, Shirley and David are coworkers. They actually work together um, in the same office. Um, They're both engineers. Um, David, David Shin, not my David. David Shin and Shirley and David, they all went to Georgia Tech. And um, oh, actually, another fun fact about us, David and I are the same age and Shirley and David are the same age. Yeah, and, and when we say same age, we're literally a few weeks apart, both of us. Oh, that's right. I'm, I'm a March 88, you're March 88. Uh-huh. Shirley and David are uh, July 92. That's so. right, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> Crazy. But so, yeah. hey, before we talk about what you do on a day-to-day basis, mm-hmm. what you actually mm-hmm. do, <laughs> um, <laughs> can I ask you about, um, I hope they hear this podcast Sure. Because yeah. I'm sure there are so many listeners that like have questions about even you just even deciding to start the podcast itself. At least I'm curious. What made you start? I hope they hear this. Uh, the initial thing was so I I don't know if I need, if I should be mentioning this on this podcast, but no, there you was just a say lull. It. Yeah, th- I mean there was like a lull in my actual career. Uh-huh. Um, because when I first went to college, I actually had thought that I was going to get into art or design. What? But I went the engineering route. Yeah. So oh we can talk about God. that in a bit. Okay. So um, I realized, like, I want to say five or, yeah, five or six years into my career, 
I had this like creative itch that uh-huh. I couldn't satisfy because um, I wasn't doing art anymore. Like art used to be such a big part of my life. I took at least one art class every single semester of my high school career. Really? Um, so for four years, art was a daily part of my life. And suddenly it was gone. And the exciting newness of a career had faded. Uh-huh. Um, so I mentally, like I was looking for something um, creative for a while. Mm-hmm. And that, that's, that was the genesis of me writing those books. And um, I, I thought the natural progression of that was doing a podcast because um, I, I feel like I have a lot of opinions. Mm-hmm. Um, and what better way to get your opinions out there than to start a podcast, right? And yeah, so that's that's kind of how it started. It's morphed into something a little different now. Um, mm-hmm. It's more about it's become more about a community conversations mm. and, and things like that. Um, but it, the initial thing was just um, the funny thing is. The the thing that tipped me over into actually starting the podcast was I saw the Justice League movie, um, which is for nerds out there. You will know that the movie wasn't that faithful to the comics. Like it wasn't that good. So my I think my first episode was addressing the DC EU executives. Like you did a terrible job. You should have done better. And like I just thought if I got a podcast out there, maybe you know one day. They would listen. So that, that's kind of how it started. Interesting. I had no <laughs> idea that's how it started. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. So, yeah, even the title, I hope they hear this. I always really like the premise like of mm-hmm. just, you know, wanting an outlet for your voice to be heard to maybe somebody that you can't reach. But one day you can be able to talk to them if they hear the podcast. Exactly. So, um, yeah. Wow. But you know, I remember when you started, you told David and I that your goal was to have a podcast for each week for an entire year. And when it came to episode 52, we're like, wow, he like really (laughs) did it. He like committed to it. And now as a, you know, a new podcaster, I know that's a lot of work, you know, to like commit Mm, to a podcast each week. So I mean, I'm thankful for your podcast, David. I don't know if anyone says that to you often, but you should know that our community is really thankful. So thanks. (laughs) Oh, thank you. Thank you for listening. Yeah. (laughs) Of course. Okay. But, you know, why people are here on When I Grow Up is to hear about what you do on a day-to-day basis. And, um, you know, I've known you for a little while and I kind of know here and there what your giftings are and in your workplace, but I don't know actually what it involves. Um, before the podcast, David, you were telling me that you are in a managerial position, but it's a with the supply chain consulting. Yes. Okay. <laughs> what is that? So, can you clarify yeah. what that is? Yeah, I can also, let me start by defining what a supply chain is. Um, A supply chain is, I guess, from the consumer perspective, we'll take something, let's say your phone, for example. Mm -hmm. Um, You, when you buy your phone, you just go to the store and you pick it up, right? But Mm -hmm. there's a lot of work that goes into getting the phone to that store. It's before the store, it's stored at a warehouse somewhere. And then before the warehouse, it's made at a factory. And before the factory, all its individual components are shipped in from a different location. So mm-hmm. those chain of events that bring it to the store ultimately 
is what we call the supply chain. And okay, <laughs> does that make sense? No, it does. I'm just like, mm-hmm. yes, because what I'm learning from all of my interviews is that like everyone, like someone always has a job to do. Do you know what I'm saying? And like, I just yeah. feel like even you explaining that makes me realize like, yeah, I don't know all the things that go into this phone getting to the store, but there are so mm-hmm. many different parts and so many different people involved. And that's what I've been loving about doing interviews with people is just my eyes being open to the immense amount of opportunities. But anyways, go ahead. Yes, mm-hmm. it makes perfect sense to me. Yeah. And so um, that flow of movement makes sense if you only have one store or one warehouse, right? Because mm-hmm. that just means you make it, send it to the warehouse and send it to the store. But for iPhones, for example, mm-hmm. everyone in the country, maybe even everyone in the world wants one. So there's thousands of stores, probably hundreds of warehouses and dozens of factories. Mm-hmm. So it, when you look at it from that perspective, like you don't always really know what the best way to move those products is to so that the final supply chain cost is as cheap as it can possibly be. Mm. Yeah. So, for example, if there's a warehouse in California, you're not going to ship the iPhones from a warehouse in California all the way to Georgia. Right. You're mm-hmm. only going to want to ship those iPhones to the stores in the California area. OK. You want to s- ship the phones from a warehouse, let's say, in Tennessee or maybe Georgia um, Mm -hmm. for it to get to a store that we would go to. And so what we do as a company is we help uh, other companies Mm -hmm. um, with their supply chain and try to make it as efficient as possible. Wow. That's what you do? (laughs) Okay, so, like, what does that entail? Like, um, I mean, in my head, it's like you have to look at data probably. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, so... The first thing that, well, I also at my company conduct a lot of interviews for recruiting. And one of the most important things that we need to look at is how well does the candidate look at and handle data? Because mm-hmm. if, if it's a small store or like a small company, it's not a big deal. Um, maybe you have a couple hundred records of data. But if you think about like Target, um, think about how many stores there are, how many products they carry, and how many customers they serve. All of that gets captured somewhere um, through a database somewhere. And we have to take a look at millions of records of data to try to aggregate it um, and give us a big picture. Like, Just figure out somehow how to digest that information so that it's usable for, for a human being. Like, Because so, someone needs to make a decision, right? And they can't sit there looking at, you know, hundreds of pages of data to say, well, you know, this makes sense. Like we have to somehow make that uh, a big picture statistical number to Mm -hmm. say, well, you know, 40% of your products go to California. Mm -hmm. So all these other warehouses that you have in Nevada or like uh, North Dakota, maybe you Mm -hmm. don't need that. But then Mm -hmm. you can only come to that conclusion if you're able to somehow, um, yeah, get information um, from the data that you crunch and and handle so you said you do a lot of interviews with candidates for your company but like Mm -hmm. how do you even evaluate if someone is able to do that well so we actually give them a test we give them a excel file Uh um, with hundreds of 
thousands of records of data and say, let's see if you can, you know, come to like, we have, we asked them a question based on this data, what month of the year is the highest sales month or ah. like how should we plan like things like that. It's, it's actually not that difficult if you know how to use the, the tools. Yeah. I see. I see. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so what are some examples can you give me that would make, so I'm assuming, you know, the need for a consulting company to come in and help with the supply chain is to make things more efficient mm-hmm. for the company itself, um, cut costs and stuff like that. Um, could you give me any examples of how maybe a company was losing money, but you guys were able to find solutions for them? Yeah, so... Um, I can't talk about my current projects because we have NDAs. Yes, um, please don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but from several years back, um, there was a a, a mattress company, mm-hmm. and um, what we did for them is so in that case, it wasn't so much about saving money. It was more about hey, the recession. We we're just coming out of the recession, and um, the demand for our mattresses are going up. And all the warehouses were filled with beds. Because one of the important things that we have to um, consider in our line of work is inventory. Um, if you have all the product at the stores, then there would be no room for customers to walk in. Mm-hmm. right? So there needs to be a fine balance of how much product you have at a store so that it can satisfy the demand versus you know not busting at the seams in terms of, you know, the back storage space. Sure. Okay. Uh, And that was what was happening to this company. They were Mm -hmm. busting at the seams, not just at the stores, but at the warehouses. And so what they wanted us to do is figure out where should they put their next warehouse so that it can alleviate the the stress in terms of inventory to those other other locations. Because if they randomly just put a warehouse anywhere, then Mm -hmm. they can lose a lot of money because from the warehouse, they have to, put it on a truck that goes to the stores, right? Oh my gosh. If it's too far away from where the big demand is, like where the largest number of customers are, then they're going to burn a lot of money paying the Mm -hmm. truckers. And and also, but if you, for example, real estate in Silicon Valley is ridiculously expensive. Yeah. So if you put a warehouse in Silicon Valley, you're just going to burn a lot of money on your lease in terms of your, Mm -hmm. your real estate. So you don't want to do that either. So, what we do is we um, kind of test out specific locations for them and say, hey, if you put it here, it's going to ship to your customers the fastest. So your customers are going to be the happiest if you put it here. But you put it in this other location, it's actually going to be the cheapest for you because, you know, balancing, you know, inventory cost, freight, um, like trucking cost and like rent cost and even the cost of like hiring people to work mm-hmm. in the warehouses Mm-hmm. All those things like considered, we can see that the cost is the cheapest in this secondary location. Mm. Um, so we, we give them a lot of different options and, and they kind of choose whatever is the best for them. Because some companies, they say, we're willing to spend more money if that means our customers are happier. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are other companies that say, we, we cannot touch our bottom line. So the customers are going to have to deal with you know, whatever unsatisfaction or dissatisfaction that they may have. That's crazy. So, like, how do you do? You use like simulators. Um, so we actually use uh, optimizers. 
Okay. Um, so <laughs> what's that? <laughs> so what, what an optimization model is, is you start with kind of the demand side. So you say um, you must throughout the model, uh, somehow from the beginning point to the end point, you must move, let's say 100 mattresses. Okay. Um, and then in the model, we give it a lot of different options to get to the final like demand point. Mm. And um, the model is going to look at the different options, compare all the costs along the supply chain like we were talking about, uh-huh, uh-huh. and it'll um, determine what the cheapest route is. Okay. Yeah. So it's our job is, the bulk of our job is creating these optimization models. Because mm-hmm. once you have the model, it's you just run a lot of different scenarios to, okay. to get to it. But the challenge is taking the millions of you know records of data distilling it to a small enough like number to right. be able to make this model yeah that's crazy yeah so like what is your day-to-day look like then yeah my day-to-day is it, it depends so um, because i'm a consultant we uh-huh. work at a project basis so mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um an engagement is typically three to four months. Mm. And the first two months is all about um, looking at the data and cleaning the data. Mm. Because um, one thing that a lot of people don't realize is um, when people put in data at the warehouses or like the truckers put in like where they came from or how how much they drew, drove and all those kind oh, of things. Sorry to uh, interrupt real yeah. quick. But so yeah. you're so the companies do keep track of these things. Like even yes. before coming to you, a consulting agency, like they already have this data collected. Most big companies do. Okay. Uh, okay. And most newer companies do. Um, there are some companies that don't because they just don't know um, that they need to. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But that's pretty rare. Okay. Mm-hmm. I guess if you know what you're doing and making money doing it, you should be you should know that you need this data to make things more efficient. But anyways, and, and okay. it's, it helps. It helps that that data is needed to you know keep track of their finances because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. even if they don't care about the supply chain, they definitely do care about how much money they're spending. Um, so thanks thanks to that, we we usually have the data that we need. Okay, good. So, but yeah. um, you're saying the first two months is kind of cleaning up that data that comes in. Yeah, because the data it's not like there's a robot putting in the data. A lot of it is people keystroke. Um, data in mm. so um, one of the first things that we need to do is we need to look at um, if, if we're looking at the product sizes let's say that a company like um, I don't know what's a good example Let, let's say let's take the mattress uh, company for example mm-hmm. all of the products is going to be similar size because mattress between you know a, a twin size and a California King um, it's not a huge difference but when we see something where the product is a hundred times bigger than another product, we have to assume that someone typed it in wrong. Um, and we have to kind of identify those things and remove it from our data so that it doesn't mess up the model that we're trying to run. Because the, the challenge is if we leave those bad data in, mm-hmm. then the results of the model aren't going to make sense. They're going to mm-hmm. look at it and say, hey, the results of the model are telling me that only a single mattress fits into a truck, which makes no sense. And that's because we failed to identify, you know, those things. Mm. Yeah. And, and clean the data. Um, so um, so that's why we spend 
a lot of our time making sure that the data is clean mm -hmm. and that it makes sense to the client. Mm -hmm. um, so we, we spend a lot of time just cleaning the data, showing them like a summary of the data, mm -hmm. and then they'll say, oh, that looks right. Or they'll say, wait, that doesn't look mm -hmm. right. And then we kind of go back and forth and, and make sure that the building blocks of the model are all clean and good. So that's the first two months you said. So that last month is kind mm -hmm. of coming to some some sort of solution or conclusions about the d data itself. Yeah. So the, the that's the first two months. The and then that's where we call it. That's kind of like the midpoint of our project lifecycle, where uh -huh. everyone's come to an agreement that the data looks good, that okay. it makes sense, and and then we start building the the model in the optimization software mm -hmm. where that I was talking about. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Once we have kind of the the base version of that model, um, we then start playing around with, you know, let's say that in five years, your total sales go up 10%. Mm -hmm. Like, what's that going to do to your costs? And then we can model that now that we have this base version of the optimization. Mm -hmm. Or like, let's say suddenly everyone in California decides that they don't want to sleep on mattresses. Mm -hmm. um, what's that going to, you know, and so we cut out all the demand going to California. What's, what's that going to look like? Wow. Um, yeah, so we... That we call that the uh, scenario um, visioning process. Yeah. So you have to like come up with all these scenarios, or um, depending on yeah, depending on the client, because there are some companies that know exactly what they want to see. Okay. Um, they have all these scenarios cooked up. Okay. But other companies are just like, well, we we don't really know what we're looking at, so mm -hmm. we they're kind of relying on us. Um, to be the experts in that um, situation. Mm -hmm. So just based on what we've seen or done for other clients, we'll do something similar. So David, you yourself, do you see like a project through from start to finish? I do. Um, as a manager, I am actually the most engaged with the clients. Mm. Um, so the way that our team structured, um, I started out as a consultant. And that's kind of the entry level position where you're the person who handles the data the most, um, whether it's in like database software or in the optimization software. Mm -hmm. They're the ones like kind of like doing all of that. And I have a, one person above me who's a senior who we call a QA, and that mm -hmm. just stands for quality assurance. Um, they're the ones kind of the senior advisors that like when I can't figure out how to do something, I'll go to him or her and you know they'll kind of guide but I, i'm the one who's you know on a weekly basis talking to the clients uh, making sure they're updated on what we're doing um, and all of that so sometimes the qas will like drop in and out depending on their availability availability mm -hmm. and the analyst might drop in and out based on you know what they need to be doing because near the end of the actual project life cycle you know that the analyst can then kind of go work somewhere else because mm -hmm. i can manipulate the model myself um, and communicate the different types of results that we're getting. I see. So how, did it help then to like um, work your way up since you have done the different positions? For sure. Because um, the way, the, the unique thing about my company is we have a very specific way that we do things. Ah. Um, like our slogan is like, um, actually, I don't want to give away where I work. Um, but uh, <laughs> our, <laughs> it's just because I, I don't want them to like, um, I'm I just like really being private. 
Um, no, so yeah. I don't want. Yeah, yeah. Which is kind of, which so, is kind of weird because I say that because um, I've realized that po- being a host of a podcast is a really vulnerable place to be. So I, <laughs> so I find it ironic that you would say something like that. But okay, no, of course, of course, I completely understand, mm. and I also know that you work with a lot of clients that. Are bigger companies as well, um, and on top of that, you have current projects that you sign NDAs for. These are non-disclosures yeah. that you're not supposed to talk about it at yes. all. So, um, mm-hmm. but anyway, so you you were saying though that um, there is a certain way you guys do things in your company, yeah. um, and you yeah. like that because it's it's really the most accurate way to do it. Um, a lot of other companies who consult don't do it this way because it's. They feel like it's not worth the extra effort to get the extra level of accuracy. But our company made the conscious decision to say we want to be as accurate as possible, even if it costs a little bit more money. Um, so when managers come into our company from other companies, they at first don't really understand why we do things a certain way. Oh, interesting. Um, yeah. Um, so the fact that I came up as a kind of entry-level consultant, uh-huh. it helps me to guide the, uh, the consultants. And it also helps me to, because I just, I just have a much more firmer grasp on our methodology. Yeah. Like that. yeah. That's awesome. Okay. So like, honestly, <laughs> David, while you're talking about everything, um, all I can really think about is, is um, I do feel like your, your one's mind has to work a certain way. In order to do what you do well, would you agree with that? You know, you know, it's interesting because our company actually asked us to take a personality test uh-huh. because they recognize that um, it's much easier for people of a certain personality type to do the work that we do. Um, and the results of the personality test, because, well, we have a lot of different departments that do a lot of different things, mm-hmm. but at least for my department and the work that I do, mm-hmm. we all tend to be like introverts, introverted, keep to ourselves, um, and highly just analytical thinkers. Yes, I can yeah. attest to that uh, about you. <laughs> yeah, only because like I feel like so David and I we've been doing uh, ministry f- together for a long time. I feel it's been a it's been a while. Yes. Like pre-marriage, pre-baby. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I do I do know that, David, you kind of like to play devil's advocate sometimes. You know, like... I do. What, mm-hmm. it, what about this situation? And I'm like, David, just... <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, but I appreciate that every time. Mm-hmm. And I love it because it really challenges me to think. But I now I realize... That your job requires that a lot. Yeah, exactly. Um, it, it it actually serves me very well in my work to be able to say, well, this is kind of the status quo, but what if this happens? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and it actually helped a lot during this whole COVID-19 pandemic because no one expected this. Mm-hmm. And so no one was really... Um, like they didn't know how to react to suddenly nobody buying anything, um, nobody going to restaurants and things like that. Um, but the way that I build my optimization models, mm-hmm. it's built so that it can, even of the craziest circumstances, you can adjust it to model what that would look like. <gasps> so we were just able to take our models and say, 
hey, all this demand dropped out. We adjusted our, our model. And this is now what your, you know, costs are look like. And, you know, clients really appreciate that because they, they had no idea to even think about um, considering this, you know. Wow, that's valuable. Yeah, yeah. That's... For the clients, yes. Yeah, no, <laughs> it is. I'm like, wow, that's crazy valuable because... <laughs> I mean, yeah, no one expected COVID-19 to happen. And mm-hmm. um, I know that you you work from home regularly, right? Um, yeah. How How is that like? So, and that's another thing about the personality type for this kind of uh-huh. work is you spend, like, a lot of your days end up just being you looking at the computer screen and trying to decipher you know, what the data is trying to tell you. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, like people who tell me that they're going stir crazy because they're having to work from home. Mm-hmm. Like I can't really relate because um, <laughs> that's where I, that's where I thrive. Um, and so like if, if, you, if you're someone who can't really just sit down and like, try to decipher things like logically mm-hmm. um, for hours on end, this job wouldn't be that exciting for you. Mm. Um, and I think that applies to most data analyst jobs. Mm. You you have to have a certain amount of like problem solving, puzzle solving kind of um, side uh, where you can um, kind of go long stretches without necessarily having a lot of uh, interaction with other people. Mm, I see. Not for me. <laughs> this job is not for me. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I feel like uh, David would be good at this job, though. Your husband. Yeah. I kind of, I can see that. I think he would like that. I mean, I think COVID-19 has definitely like shifted his um, just thought process of, you know, wanting to work from home, things like that. He's really enjoyed it. Um, But now he's back at the office. But um, I wanted to ask you about, you know, just going, taking us back, like, there's no major in college for this or is there? Um, yeah, I mean, I, so I can kind of take you through, should I kind of go through my journey of how I got here? Yes, please. And I can answer please. those questions along the way. Yeah. Um, yeah. So like, like I alluded to, I actually kind of got into where I am on accident and it was because I couldn't do art, um, in high school all throughout. I took art classes um, and for those of you who don't know, when you want to go to art school, you have to prepare a portfolio mm-hmm. of a lot of different things, right? I actually have my portfolio ready. Um, I even sent out a few applications to art schools. What? I'm like um, so shocked, David. <laughs> okay, yes. <laughs> yeah. Keep going. And uh, at, at the last minute, my brother kind of con- convinced me out of it. Um, and it was just stability-wise. He said, hey, like, we grew up pretty well off. Um, we weren't rich, but we didn't really ever struggle financially. And he said, I know that's the kind of lifestyle you're used to, um, but art is extremely competitive. And if you don't have that passion, um, you might not, you might find yourself in a situation where, you know, where you don't want to be in. Mm. Um, so that kind of scared me. Um, <laughs> and so I started looking at other programs um, mm. and, at Georgia Tech, there's actually a in industrial engineer or industrial design major, which is heavily art, 
arts focus, right? Mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. you're designing products, you know, all those kind of things. So I said, that's like similar enough to art. So let me try that out. And then even that, my brother said, hey, that's still very competitive. Um, and I know you're very good at math. Um, I mean, let me brag a little bit. I actually got 800 on my uh, SAT math uh, section. So like I'm like I'm a very math kind of guy to begin with. Okay. So my brother said, why don't you look into engineering? Mm. And so I said, oh, there's actually an industrial engineering. And I thought they were related. I thought industrial design and industrial engineering were related. Turns out they're not at all. <laughs> uh, but because of that initial interest, I said, yeah, I'll look into industrial engineering. And it, the whole concept of that major is um, optimizing things. It's not necessarily just in the supply chain side, oh. um, but it's, it's looking at different types of systems to cut costs and make it more efficient. Um, so, wow. Yeah, I... I had no idea that's what industrial engineering was. Yeah, yeah. Not a lot of people know. Um, it's, people call it like imaginary engineering because you're not really engineering anything. Like a, as a joke, they like, call it that? Yeah, because <laughs> industrial engineering is uh, IE for short uh-huh, at Georgia Tech. Uh-huh. And all my other real engineering <laughs> friends would call it imaginary engineering. Yeah. It's not imaginary. But, uh, <laughs> so they're... That's kind of the, at, at least at Georgia Tech, that's kind of the uh, closest major to be able to do the work that I do. Mm. Um, but um, I think now, because this was, what, 10 years ago? But I think now there are actual programs that are dedicated to supply chain. And I know at Georgia Tech, oh. in the industrial engineering major, there are different like concentrations. And there is a supply chain concentration. Really? Mm-hmm. I wonder how that came about. Like... So I think this is my theory. Um, I think after the 2008 recession, uh-huh. a lot of companies, a lot of bloated companies realized that they were burning a lot of money that they didn't need to. Like they had the sense that we're spending way too much money, but they couldn't quantify it. Mm. And that's where supply chain consultants really are useful because we can quantify you know, how much money they're actually spending mm-hmm. that doesn't need to be spent. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's kind of when it blew up and even at Georgia Tech, um, they, they have a entire master's degree dedicated to just the supply chain too. Um, do you feel a master's is necessary in your line of work? Um, so it, my company, and I think a lot of companies now, they only really interview people who do have the master's degree. Oh, I, I don't really? have a master's degree. I'm yeah, I, I just have the undergrad. Um, but I know a lot of your previous guests have said this, but it's so true. Networking is the key because even though I don't have a master's degree, uh, one of my coworkers from my previous workplace, um, he we worked together. He moved to the company that I'm at now. And, and there he said, hey, I know a friend who would do this work well. And through that reference, I was able to come into this company without having any sort of a master's degree and it helped that the work that i did at my previous company was somewhat similar so i had mm. really strong uh, data analysis skills i mean that mm. transferred really well to this new company nice so um after you graduated college um what was like looking for a job like what what was that experience like for you david 
yeah, it's a uh, a lot of praying and a lot of God opening doors. Mm. Um, because so I'll I'll disclose where I worked at first. I worked at UPS, um, the United Postal Services. No, <laughs> United Parcel Services. <laughs> it's United Parcel Services. It's it's not part of the government. A lot of people confuse it with uh, USPS, uh-huh. but UPS is the brown truck company, um, and my GPA coming out of Georgia Tech was horrendous. Even for a techie, um, my GPA was a 2.4, which means that throughout my college career, I got more C's than I got B's. Uh-huh. Um, so my grade was really bad. Um, and I had zero internships. Uh, most people, um, they have internships that they do throughout the summer. They have some sort of work experience. I had none of that. But my last semester of college, I... Like really woke up and said, if I keep doing this, I'm not going to be able to get a job. So um, the very last project that we do, um, it used to be called Senior Design. It's now called Capstone Project. Mm-hmm. Um, for the industrial engineering major, they partner you with an actual company to do a project for them. To do some, some sort, they'll come to us with some sort of question and we'll use what we learned in our major to kind of help them figure that out. And that company, for us, um, happened to be UPS. Mm. And during that project, because we worked so closely with the company UPS, um, that person, the kind of the representative of UPS, saw like my, my work ethic. And um, when we finished the project, he was really happy with what we did. And he actually extended um, job offers to three out of seven people in our group because he oh, was wow. really happy with what we did. Yeah. And so even for UPS at the time, if you go on their website and try to apply to a job, it says like 3.0 GPA minimum. So if I had tried to apply without having done that project with them, they wouldn't even have looked at my resume. But um, because um, I, you know, thankfully the guy, um, I don't know, saw my work ethic, whatever, whatever it was, um, he said, I like it. And yeah, and then that's how I got the job. Wow, that is God's providence. <laughs> yes, for sure, for sure. Because, yeah, it's man. Can I tell a story about the scene design project? No, yes, please it, do. You know, um, I wanted to. I was going to ask you anyways, and I was going to ask you to elaborate mm-hmm. because, um, you know, like I said, my husband David went to tech, and I know that. That senior project, the capstone project, is a really big deal and does open mm-hmm. a lot of doors. So I was going to ask what your because it's like a real thing. It's not a fake yeah. issue. It's a real issue, yeah. and they expect mm-hmm. you guys to solve it, which I think is a great opportunity for the yeah. company and for tech, right? Because company they just yeah. get free, free labor, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but yes, yeah. please tell me so- the story. The, the process of even finding a company, it's not like the school says, well, this is a list of the, like companies, um, do it. It's, you actually have to go out and find your company. Um, so either through you know, companies that you might have interned with or you know, people that you know, whatever it may be, you have to go to them and say, hey, our school has this program um, and we have a, a senior advisor, a professor who knows what he's doing. So you don't have to worry about us messing everything up. Um, and you kind of have to be interviewed by the company. Mm-hmm. And we also have to kind of interview the company to make sure that it's a type of project that we can actually do. Um, so the 
project itself is only a semester, but you have to start the process the previous semester because um, you have to have a project selected by the beginning of the semester to in order to complete it. Oh. Um, so that previous um, semester, um, the whole time, you know, we went to a dozen interviews. Like we had to dress up and everything, bring our resumes and say, hey, like we would really love to work with you guys and, you know, send follow-up emails and all that. But there was one particular company that um, we interviewed with and I sent out an email, a really enthusiastic, oh, we would love to work with you. You guys are great. Um, thank you for the opportunity. Thank you for, for talking to us. And a week after that, um, one of our group mates said, oh, the UPS, I in, um, he had interned there. And he said, the company that I interned with, they have this big project for us. And I think it's right up our alley. And honestly, the other companies that we were talking with, they're kind of smaller companies. So in terms of employment prospect, we thought UPS was best. Mm. So we went with that. So I had to send another email to the other company saying, oh, sorry, we found a different company. Um, it was great talking to you, but we're not choosing you pretty much. <laughs> and this one particular company hated that. Um, so they had interpreted my kind of follow-up email as we are choosing you. I didn't use those words exactly. I didn't say we like want to, like we're deciding to work with you. We just said we're very enthusiastic. Um, we're looking forward to hearing back, right? But they, because they had thought that we said yes, um, they got super upset when we said no. They he contacted the head of the senior design project, and we, I had to go in um, and like talk to my senior, like the head faculty member, to kind of explain ourselves. And he, the the guy, like the head faculty member, he was very upset because he said, you're jeopardizing the relationship that we have with this company. Um, they're probably never going to want to do a senior design project with us again. Oh um, and he, they even moving forward, um, I asked actually, my brother-in-law is two years younger than me and he is an uh, industrial engineering major uh -huh. as well. He told me that two years after this, they had put up the email that I wrote I mean, having, you know, censored out all the names and all that kind of stuff as kind of an example of you do not want to do this. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah. So um, just from the beginning of the project, like it was such a crazy, um, like, like I've already messed up um, oh, kind man. of just demoralizing experience. But, you know, thanks to the grace of God, you know, I kept my motivation level up and uh so, yeah. It's not funny, but that's so funny. No, it is, it is funny. It is funny. Yeah. I can't believe they use your email as an example. Yeah, yeah. But it's, I mean, it's a good example. You know, you definitely <laughs> don't want to do what I did. Yeah. That's crazy. But um, a lesson in there, though, is um, our group got called in to talk to him. Um, and he said, I'm going to have to take a letter off your final grade. So, like, if you deserve an A, well, I'm going to give you a B. And I, I had to say, well, you know, I'm the one who wrote the email. I sent it out. So can you just penalize me? Because my groupmates didn't do that. And he really liked the fact that I fessed up um, and tried to take uh, responsibility for it because he ended up not doing that at the end. Oh, thank goodness. Honesty is key. Yeah, yeah. But yes, yeah. integrity and taking responsibility, I think, is a great piece of advice from this story, too. Yeah, um, for sure. That's so funny, David. <laughs> but I'm glad everything worked out. So you got the yeah, job yeah. at UPS. 
And then you mentioned yeah. that um, a friend of yours that went to the the company you currently work at is who recommended you to, for this job? Yes. Okay. Yes, that's correct. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, I mean, you know, do you see yourself? I don't know if I should ask this. Do you see yourself continuing in this line of work or... Yeah, so kind of one of the moral dilemmas that I have with this job is if you really think about it, my job is to either take away someone else's job or reduce the wage of someone else's job. You know, so the success in my line of work is measured by how much money we're saving, right? right. So that's money being taken away from other people that could be getting it. So there there was... A moment, because that's kind of the work that I did at UPS too. Mm. Um, so there was a moment where I was like, "Am I? Do I really want to be doing this?" Mm. Um, kind of the big, kind of turning—well, not a turning point, but the wake-up call was at my current job. We got data from uh, Mexico because one particular company had a plant, a factory in Mexico, mm. and so we got all the financial details, and we looked at some of the wages of these people in Mexico, mm-hmm. and. I was like, wow, we're, this company is basically using slave labor. Mm. Like, I can't believe these people survive off of these wages. And I really had a moment of kind of like anxiety of like, oh, does God really want me to be doing this type of work? Um, but um, the way that I, 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 uh, I think uh, after that kind of moment, God gave me a lot of reassurance that, you know, the work that I'm doing can be interpreted that way, but a different way to interpret it is um, by saving money, right? It's um, you don't want to be paying people for doing things that aren't necessary. Like you would never just that God, like you know, um, wants people to work, wants people to be productive, mm-hmm. um, and you know, if a company is being irresponsible with the money, mm-hmm. then that can have a resounding effect to the rest of the economy, right? So that's kind of how. Um, I've been reassured, um, but yeah, it's still every day. Still, though, there are, there are moments where I say, "Is there something I can be doing productive?" Mm. So I, I kind of go back and forth. Right now, I'm happy at my job because uh, my the clients that I'm supporting now they're actually growing, so we're having to decide for them where to add additional jobs. Okay. Um. So I'm I'm happy now, but we'll see. Nice. Would you say that? Um, that's maybe one of the bigger obstacles that you faced or realizations that you faced in your current job? Yeah. Um, I mean, because everything else is great. Um, I know on my podcast, I, I talk about how like I don't like my job and all that kind of stuff. But you know, at the end of the day, um, like I feel like for what I do, I get paid really well. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't have I don't work like crazy hours mm-hmm. as much I, I used to at the beginning but nowadays i at most work 40 hours a week so that gives me a lot of time with my family mm-hmm. um and I, the the thing that the things that i do i think are genuinely interesting um like it's, it's a lot of problem solving which i really like um so yeah it, i think that's kind of the only obstacle um kind of moral dilemma mm-hmm. i have sometimes yeah that's so um insightful because i think i did not think of that at all but yeah that makes Mm. perfect sense that someone along the way has to be 
I was going to say the word eliminated, but that's not the right word. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you 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 have to uh, prune the, the the trees that aren't producing fruit sometimes to make room mm. for you know additional growth. That's kind of how I justify. No, justify. <laughs> that is a very good example. I feel like. Yeah. Um, so we are coming up on our hour together, David. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But I was wondering before we go, do you have any advice for somebody that maybe wants to go into industrial engineering or just personal advice that you could give people that are listening? Yeah. Um, I, I, I echo a lot of the uh, things that your previous guests have said. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you haven't, guys, go listen to all the previous episodes because <laughs> um, there's all those pieces of advice um, I, I want to echo um, but I, I think uh, one really big thing is you really I mean I, I know that not all your listeners might be Christian but for me personally um, being rooted in Christ is really what saved me um, during this work because mm-hmm. um, I, I, I realize I struggle with anxiety sometimes mm-hmm. um, and I think it started with, um, you know, like the whole moral dilemma I was talking about. And also um, with the 2008 recession, mm-hmm. you know, stability was kind of a question. So there are days where um, I kind of find myself paralyzed because I think if I mess this up, I'm going to get fired. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to be able to provide for my family. And, you know, my baby's just one, but she's going to have to face the harsh realities of of life and, and, and all these things. Um, and that's just because of the way that I think. Um, mm. But yeah, really having Christ to turn to in those moments um, and really seeking peace from him mm. and seeking comfort from him is really what's helped me move along. And not in, I mean, that's like the number one thing, but also having my church community with me um, there was one time um, right before I left UPS, um, mm-hmm. I gave a testimony at my church about how much anxiety I was having at, at uh, UPS. And because UPS was, my old boss was the worst. My current workplace is really like the best compared to UPS. But I actually like cried in front of my entire, con- like in- entire like church family, um, giving this testimony um, about like how like, I feel like I'm going to ruin my life and all these kind of things. And like, they really came around me to like support me and, you know, congratulate me on my new job and things like that. So like, if I feel like if I didn't have that, like I would just be in, in such a darker place because mm-hmm. yeah, like, I mean, there are a lot of like things that you struggle with in, in the world where that's, you know, seemingly separated from, from Christ. Right. So mm-hmm. I'm always like reminding myself of like Jesus's place in my life I and mean, always focusing on him and always Knowing that I can go to him in prayer with whatever issues I have, yeah, that's that's what's kept me uh, kept me going. Mm. Sorry, was that was that too too much for this podcast? No, that know. was the best advice. Uh, that's really good <laughs> advice um, that I resonate with well. So thank you for sharing that mm. with our listeners and even with me because I I need to be reminded of those things as well sometimes. I think it's been hard um, just in quarantine, you know, not just just not being around the community I'm used to being around. Um, 
Zoom calls help, I guess, but I think that just a physical, I'm just a, I need tangible things in front of me kind of person. And so I've missed that a lot. So I think what you're saying is absolutely true. You know, you need people around you that are speaking life into your life and truth and telling you the truth, you know? Not just saying things mm-hmm. to make you feel better, but really just telling you the truth. So thank you yeah. so much, David, for sharing all that. You know, yeah. one quick question before um, we sign off together is um, you're saying that, you know, the book and the podcast have been kind of your art outlet, you know, your creative outlet. Mm-hmm. I mean, do you think you'll ever go back to doing, you know, the things that you thought you would be doing in high school? Um. Honestly, no. And, <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, but like I want to, because I, I used to think that that was like a tragic thing. Uh-huh. Um, there was a part of me that held on to this resentment, like toward my brother and my parents who really wanted me to get into this other profession. Um, but I'm realizing that being in the career that I'm in now, like I get, I have so much freedom to do things that might not be artistic, but like in the periphery that I hadn't considered. So like, like I said, like, um, I mean, I get paid really well for what I do. Mm. So I get to help my parents a lot Mm. um, who had to, you know, declare bankruptcy after 2008 recession. So, I mean, they're, they're doing fine now, but I get to help them out a lot. Mm. Um, I get to help, I get to spoil my daughter and my wife. um, And because I work from home, I have all this extra time to, you know, write books and to record podcasts, right? Those artistic outlets that, I feel, you know, satisfy my artistic itch anyways, my creative itch anyways. Mm-hmm. Um, so in a kind of roundabout way, I think God helped me realize. And also, um, you know, honoring your parents. Um, I feel like these days, people in our community think you either have to choose happiness or honoring your parents and kind of doing what they want you to do. Mm-hmm. But I feel like I found a very healthy and happy middle ground because um, I'm honoring my parents by having a stable income, but I also, um, yeah, have the freedom to kind of do things outside of this uh, career that help me satisfy what the things that I want to do. Yes, so, I love that. that. Say, yeah, <laughs> I feel like yeah. that. All, all that to say, I don't think I'll go back. Okay. I was just curious because honestly, um, that piece of information about you, David, was really surprising for me. I had no idea that that's kind of the trajectory that you had planned, but it shifted. And, you know, for me, um, this podcast alone is kind of that's kind of what I want to hear. You know, the stories of how things started and then it's shifting and doors opening and you being where you are today. So I really appreciate your vulnerability today with us. Yeah. Um, yeah. If you have not checked out that I hope they hear this podcast, please, this is my shameless plug. Um, please do so because um, David is really good at making people feel comfortable and talking about things that are relevant and um, the opinions that come out of it, too, I think, well, there there are a lot of episodes that are just really fun to listen to. Um, there are some more serious ones to talk about more serious topics, but um, all of them, I know that uh, I come out of listening to them with more knowledge and 
uh, a different way of thinking. My perspective is open a little bit different. Uh, more than it was before. Um, so I highly recommend, go check it out. I hope they hear this. Um, but David, thank you so much for your time today. If you have any questions about um, industrial engineering or just any comments about our conversation today, I want to encourage you to reach out to us at podcastwigu at gmail.com, W-I-G-U, um, or just DM us. That's fine too. Um, until next time, guys. Bye. Bye.